Let's get into today's message. And we have been in this series called The Art of Being Unordinary, okay? And this has been kind of a longer series, but it's been so good, and it's so important for us to spend some time on this, and here's why. It's because I want to be blessed in this life, and I want you to be blessed in your life, and there's good news for us is that Jesus actually teaches us how to be blessed, right? So for today's message, what we're doing is we're talking about these blessings that come in the Beatitudes. And for today's topic, we're going to hit something that's very important, okay? This is a life skill that we all need to learn, okay? And you've got to get a grip on this. What we're going to be talking about today is conflict resolution, okay? How to restore or how to reconcile a relationship. And this is so important. It's so important for three main reasons. Number one is because if you don't learn how to deal with conflict in life, you're going to have a harder life, okay? Number two reason is because you're not going to be blessed, okay? You're not going to be as joyful when there's conflict. And then number three, honestly, we got to learn more about conflict resolution because we're all imperfect people. None of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. We need to learn how to be peacemakers. Now, the reason that this is a little bit unordinary to practice conflict resolution is because what our society generally teaches us is that there are two responses when we have conflict in life. And those two responses are fight or flight, right? When somebody does something, somebody makes me upset, or when I have something against another person, what society teaches us is, number one, we're either gonna fight it out. Like, I'm gonna come at you and I'm gonna come at you hard, right? Or number two, is that I am just going to flee. I'm going to flight. I'm going to go away. And I'm just going to drop it because honestly, this relationship wasn't working anyway and I don't need to deal with you. And who needs this? And I'm not going to have anything to do with you anymore. Right? Those are the two responses that generally we see happen in society. But again, what we're after in this series is something that's unordinary. Because here's what we're learning. Each week, what we've been saying is that if we're willing to be a little unordinary, if we're willing to follow Christ's teachings, which are different than what this world teaches us, then what happens is, is that we open ourselves up for extraordinary blessings that come from God. So conflict is everywhere. And we need to learn how to deal with it. In fact, what Jesus is going to teach us today in the Beatitudes is that what we really need is to learn to be peacemakers. Okay, so let's look at the Beatitudes, where we are right now. We are week number seven in this, and this comes from Matthew chapter five, verse nine. So here is our verse that we're gonna be looking at today. Jesus puts it this way, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, I like this. I like what Jesus says here about peacemakers because it really does prove that you're a child of God. It really does prove that your faith is real, that God is at work in you when you can be a person that is peaceful, right? Because it's a huge witness. Again, it's unordinary. And not only that, but it gives you peace. And when you learn to be a peacemaker... In the Beatitudes, what we're talking about is that when we learn to do these things that Jesus teaches us, what happens is we open up our lives to receive more of the blessings that God has for us. So here's where I want to go today. And to talk a lot about how to be a peacemaker, I want to share a rather obscure story in the Old Testament 
of someone who was a great example of how to be a peacemaker, okay? And I was reminded of this in my Thursday men's Bible study. Um, We looked at this story about how God used this amazing woman named Abigail to help to help a conflict between a hot-headed David and a foolish landowner named Nabal. Okay, so let me tell you her story. Okay, and then what we're going to do is we're going to talk through a key through a few key points together. Okay, so some of you remember David. A lot of you remember the guy David in the Bible. And where we are in his life, if you were going to take this section out of his life, it's after he killed Goliath. Everybody's familiar with that story. And it's before he became king. And that's really kind of all you need to know kind of as set up for this story, okay? So David has a lot of troops, okay? He's got a lot of men, and he's gathered in this wilderness area outside of the town. Now, close to him during this time was a guy named Nabal. Now, Nabal is a huge, wealthy landowner. He's got a lot of property. He's got a lot of livestock. He's very wealthy. So David's on the outskirts of this guy's property, and they need some food. They need some provision. So David tells his guys, he's like, okay, so here's where we are. We need something. We got, you know, we we need some food, so I'm going to send you to Nabal. We've been by his property. He's got a lot to offer. So let's see what Nabal has to say. So he tells his guys what to tell Nabal. So he sends his troops, and that's where we pick up in verse 6. So David says, he says, Say to Nabal, may you live a long time. Here's how you start the conversation with him. May you live a long time. May everything go well with you and your family, and may things go well with everything that belongs to you. Just a great intro right here. Okay, and then he goes on. He says, when your shepherds were with us, you know, David is like, we see your shepherds. We know how many flocks you have. We know everything around us. We treated them well. The whole time they were at Carmel, nothing that belonged to them was stolen. Ask your servants. They'll tell you. So, here's what we're asking. Please give me and my men anything you can find for us. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal the message from David. They told him what David wanted. And then they waited. Now, to really understand this story, you got to know why David is asking for supplies. So why would Nabal even consider giving David some supplies? Like, what, what is it? I mean, just because he's David? Does he owe David anything? See, there's two reasons that he should give provisions to these guys. Number one is because David hasn't taken anything from him, and he could have. Okay, David and all of his troops are on the outskirts. They could have taken anything they wanted at any time. It would have been like stealing candy from a baby. Easy peasy, no problem, but they didn't. And number two is because they're offering, in a sense, protection to Nabal. Okay, the whole time they're on the outskirts of this guy's property, nobody else is going to mess with Nabal. Nobody else is going to mess with his flocks. Nobody else is going to mess with his property as long as David the giant slayer, right, is on the outskirts, right? Forget ADT and Brinks. This is like the best security system you could possibly have at this time was David out there, right? So it was customary during this time, and this was normal, that when this happened in a general or commander and his troops were on the outskirts of your property, that you would give them some provisions, okay? But Nabal, oh, Nabal, this is a different kind of character. In fact, what we're going to find out is that his name in Hebrew means fool. And he's going to be pretty foolish with this. So here's his reply. Here's the next verse. So Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? 
Who is this son of Jesse? Why should I give my bread and my water? Why should I give away the meat that I've prepared for those who clip the wool off my sheep, like those people that help me, that's their food? Why should I give food to men who come from who knows where? So Nabal looks at this request and he says, I ain't giving you nothing. Okay? Again, he says, who is David? Like he doesn't know who David is. Like he doesn't know the giant slayer. Like he doesn't know the guy who had a song written about him that rose to number one in the charts at that time. Do y'all know, do y'all know the David song that I'm talking about? The da- Here are the words to the David song. This is, this is what they sang, okay? The king has killed thousands of men. David has killed tens of thousands of men. Those were the, word, those were the lyrics of the song, okay? And this is the guy that is picking a fight with David. This song literally talks about how many men David has killed. This guy is going to get in a heap of trouble. So David, by verse 12, he hears what Nabal has said, and he looks at his guys, and he says, grab your swords, we're heading over there, and we're about to open up a can of, well, you you know, we're going to teach this guy a lesson, right? We're going to get him. So the guys get prepared for a fight. He is done. This is disrespectful. So meanwhile, back on Nabal's property, all the servants around, everybody is scared to death. They have no, they're like, what in the world is Nabal doing picking a fight with David? He's going to kill us. We don't know what to do. You know, where are we going to go? So they go to the only person that they know that can talk some sense into Nabal. They go to the one who is really in charge. They go to the smartest one in the household. You know who I'm talking about. They go to the wife. (laughs) They go to Abigail. And here's what they tell Abigail. They said, David's men, here's the next verse, David's men have been very good to us. Okay, they're telling her the truth. They treated us well. The whole time we were near them in the fields, they didn't steal anything. We were taking care of our sheep right near them. And during that time, they were like a wall around us night and day. They actually kept us safe. Now, now, Abigail, think it over. See what you can do. Horrible trouble will soon come to our master and his whole family. He's such an evil man that no one can talk to him. So they come to Abigail and they're like, please, please do something. This is a huge conflict. We don't know what to do. It's only going to cause trouble. Please make peace. We are relying on you. So look at verse 18. It says, Abigail didn't waste any time. She got 200 loaves of bread, two bottles of wine. She ends up getting like five sheep, 200 cakes of figs, tons of supplies. She loads it all up and then here's a kicker. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal about it. (laughs) She loaded it all up and she got it out of there before he knew. Verse 20. And Abigail rode her donkey into a mountain valley. There she saw David and his men. They were coming towards her. They're on their way down. They're coming with swords drawn. They're ready to teach this guy and their family and everybody around a lesson. And David is recounting everything in his mind. And David had just said to everybody, everything we've done hasn't been worth a thing. Okay, I watched over this fellow's property in the desert. I made sure none of it was stolen, but he has paid me back evil for good. 
I won't leave even one of his men alive until morning. And if I do, may God punish me greatly. So here comes the thunder. And Abigail meets him halfway. And when Abigail, verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and she bowed down in front of David with her face toward the ground. And a level-headed Abigail was able to talk this through. And she was not, a, she was not only able to save her family. Here, here's the kicker. She was also able to keep David from doing something that he would later regret. In fact, David actually tells her, thank goodness God sent you to me. Otherwise, David said, I would have done this horrible thing. And I would have regretted it later on. And then Abigail was able to bring peace. Now, what I want to do is I want to talk through what Abigail did. And I want to give some instructions, okay? But that kind of sets us up for this morning. And I've got a lot to get through today. Um, if you want to finish this story, it's in fact, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25. I invite you to go and read it, the rest of it today. Actually, something happens to Nabal and Abigail that you're not going to see coming. It's like a twist in the story. It's really crazy. So I invite you to go home and finish it on your own. Okay, now let's use this story and let's talk about conflict resolution. Let's talk about peacemakers and being an Abigail. Okay, and let's first start off with what peacemaking is not. Now, this is important because this is what I used to think it meant to be a peacemaker, but these are a few things that it's not. And if you've got your message notes, let's go ahead and open those up and let's fill in a few blanks, okay? And I'm going to give you the first two right off the bat. A peacemaker does not, number one, avoid, okay? Making peace, it doesn't avoid the situation, okay? In other words, I'm not just going to sweep it under the rug and, and just not think that it exists, okay? That's that's kind of being a coward with it. And Abigail in this story, she doesn't avoid the conflict. Think of the strength it took for her to face David. She knew exactly who David, I think Nabal knew who David was too. He was just trying to be all big and bad. But she knew exactly who David was. She knew what was heading for them and yet she still had the courage to face them. She knew that she could not avoid this situation. She needed to face it head on. So number one, peacemaker doesn't avoid. Number two, a peacemaker doesn't always just appease, okay? It's not just appeasing. Some people think, well, I'll just appease him or her in my marriage or in this relationship, and I don't want to rock the boat. I'll just kind of grin and bear it. But what this means is that I always give in. They always get their way, but that's not really solving anything. So appeasement isn't necessarily peacemaking either. So just starting things off, maybe this isn't what it is to be a peacemaker. Now, let me ask you this question too, before we jump in any further. Why would Jesus bring up this idea of being a peacemaker? Like, why would this be in the Beatitudes? Like, when, when God is talking about his blessings and the joy that we can receive in life, like, why pause here and talk about bringing peace in relationships? And, and here's why I'm so grateful that Jesus does this. It's because I believe that some of us don't really understand, since we're talking about starting off what peacemaking is not, like I, I don't think some of us really understand just how much unresolved conflict messes up our lives. Right? Some of us have been in a conflict for a while. It could be months, it could be years, it 
maybe even decades. And maybe just because you're avoiding it. Maybe just because you've been appeasing it and just letting it slide. And as a result, what's happening in those relationships is that you haven't had anything to do with your dad. Or you haven't had anything to do with your brother or your coworker or your friend or whoever it is. And those damaged relationships that we have in our life that we allow to linger, that we don't try to bring some reconciliation in, man, they just bring damage to us personally over time. Let's talk just a minute about what conflict does to us personally and why it's important for us to be a peacemaker. Number one, look at this. This is what it does. It messes with my spiritual walk. It just does. Did you know that the Bible actually says that you can't be right with God and be wrong with others? Like, your horizontal relationships affect your vertical relationships. That's just how it is. It's true. I like the way the message puts 1 John chapter 4. It says this. If anyone boasts, I love God, if that's what you say, but you go right on hating your brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, then you're a liar. That's powerful. If he won't love the person he can see, then how can he possibly love God that he can't see? And no matter which translation, I like the message and how it translates this, but no matter which translation you read, it all means the same thing. Man, you can't have a great spiritual walk with God if you're wrong with others. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. Number two, conflict also messes with my prayers. It messes with my spiritual walk, but it also messes with my prayers, which just makes sense in light of point number one, because if my relationship with God is broken because my relationship with you is broken, then it just makes sense that God isn't necessarily going to hear all my prayers if I don't have a good relationship with him, right? The Apostle Paul actually uses the marriage relationship to illustrate this. Look at what Paul says in First Peter, or Peter says, sorry, in First Peter, he says this, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. I love that. Listen, I have to remember that there's something to this relationship that I have with you, that I have with my family, that I have with my coworkers, that actually, that actually messes or contributes to hurts or helps this relationship, right? So if I don't have a strong relationship with others, if I allow conflict to happen, then it messes with my spiritual walk. I can't get as close to God as I want to. It messes with my prayers. He doesn't hear as well if I have that conflict in my life. And then point number three, conflict just messes with my happiness. It messes with my happiness. And that's what we're after in this series, right? We're after receiving more blessings. We're after receiving more joy. That's what this is all about. But it's hard to be happy when conflict is looming, right? Let me ask you this question. How many of y'all have been paying attention to the whole royal family thing that's happening right now? Let me see. Raise a hand. How many of y'all? Okay, now let's see. Who's, who's team Quinn and Elizabeth? Who's team make? No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Let's don't make it awkward. Let's don't make it awkward. Um... I do remember when my girls, I've, I've only, you know, I've grown up in a house full of girls, or they've grown up, and I've got two little girls of my own. They're grown now, but when they were little, I used to take Fridays off, and everything was about princesses. Man, they loved it. And I remember on Daddy Days, you know, Abby would change her princess outfit probably five times a day. And it was so much fun. So I'd run errands with Cinderella, 
And then I'd go get lunch with Belle, and then we'd rent a movie at Blockbuster. Remember when you used to rent movies at Blockbuster? Remember that? I'd rent a movie with Ariel, right? And then that afternoon, we'd go get a snack with Jasmine. You know, like, just different. And they loved it. And the, and the princess thing was so much fun because it's magical, right? There's just something about princess, a prince and a princess and just living happily ever after. It just seems to be filled with so much joy. But when there's conflict, right? I think that's why everybody loves the royals so much. It's just this world of princes and princesses. But when there's conflict, not so much joy. It's not so magical anymore, right? And and I would be, you know, I think I couldn't say that there's not a whole lot of joy on either side in this conversation because there's so much conflict just kind of destroys the happiness, doesn't it? And I'm using the royals as an example, but we know how this is in our own families. We know what this is like when we're we're supposed to be having a good time. We know what it's like to go on vacation together as a family and then something happens or somebody says something or somebody did something and then we're all upset and it just takes the joy and the happiness right out of it. But that's what conflict does. It makes things no longer fun. It makes things awkward. James, the brother of Jesus, he says this. He says, those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace. And what they do is they reap a harvest of goodness. That's what peacemaking does. Conflict with others, it blocks the blessings. Okay? It's not as much joy, not as much happiness. But peacemakers, man, those who learn how to resolve that conflict... What he says here is they reap a harvest of goodness. So how can we do that? Like now that we know what conflict or peacemaking is not, we, we talked about the damaging effects that it has on us personally, how it destroys the joy, how it uh, hurts our spiritual walk, and you know, it's harder to pray to God when things aren't going well with others. Then how, do we, how can we make sure that we're reaping a harvest of, goodness? Let, uh, harvest of goodness? Let me give you a few points as we close our time. Number one, here's what you got to do. You got to take the initiative. Number one, you got to take the initiative. In other words, you got to make the first move sometimes. Okay, don't wait on the other person in order to bring peace, okay? Even if it's not your fault that you're in this mess, even if you think they should be the ones coming to you, use Abigail as an example. In verse 18, I'm not going to show you this verse, but in verse 18, it says that Abigail wasted no time. She didn't start this fight. She has nothing to do between the two of these guys, right? Nobody would have blamed her for not going. Nobody would have blamed her when the servants came to her where she goes, this is not, this is nothing to me. You better go talk to Nabal, you know? Nobody would have blamed her if she grabbed the kids and ran. But she goes. She knew that if anything was going to be accomplished, if there's going to be a peace in this situation, then she needs to take a step in that direction. In fact, in fact, taking the initiative to reconcile your relationships is so important that Jesus actually says in the same chapter, in the same chapter that he's talking about the Beatitudes, Jesus teaches, he says, you know what? If you're in church, if you're worshiping, and you're digging the music, and you're into the message, and you're praying to God, and then you realize that you have something against somebody else, Jesus says, you better leave church. He says, you better go make that right. This is how he said it in Matthew 5, 24. 
He said, leave your gift at front, in front of the altar. First, go and make peace with them. Then come back to worship. Then come back and offer your gift. It's that important. It's important enough to go immediately, right then and there. Why do we wait? Sometimes we think, I think, we tend to think sometimes that time will heal all wounds. Like, we just give it some time. But you know, I don't know that that's necessarily correct. I mean, think about it. If you have a wound in your, uh, in your life or if you, if you cut yourself, think about it this way. If you cut yourself on your hand, if you don't immediately get that taken care of, if it's a deep cut, or if you do what I do and you run to your wife and hold it out like this so that she can take care of it, right? Like, if you don't immediately take care of a deep cut, what's going to happen over time? If you let time heal it, it could fester. It could get infected, right? And it's the same thing in our relationship with other people. Sometimes the only way to resolve a conflict is to face it. You know what that may mean? It may mean that you have to be the bigger person. It may mean that you may have to take the initiative and you may have to go first. And that's okay. Remember, Jesus says it's so important that you ought to leave worship and you ought to go get that done right now. Now, I know Jesus told us to do that, but um, don't do that right now. It's going to be awkward if you leave, okay? So I'm just going to say, wait till about three, point three or 4, then you can go if you feel like you've got to go, okay? But it is. It's important. We need to learn to take the... What, what's getting in our way? What is getting in your way right now of that conflict that you have? Is it pride? Why are you letting that stop you? Point number two. Point number two, we've got to take it to God. We need help. Dealing with those situations. We sure do. Usually, usually the reason that I'm in conflict with another person is because something has happened and neither I nor the other person know how to deal with this. Like we don't know what to do next. We don't know what the next step is or where to go from here, right? We're not all Dr. Phil's in life. Like we need help with this situation and we're in luck because it says in Scripture that... Uh, that if we need help, we should take it to God. And this is what Abigail does. Scripture says that David replies to Abigail's call for peace. And he says this in verse 32 and 33. He says, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. In other words, David was like, praise God that, you ask, that you're following God's will. Like you're doing what God wants you to do right? Thank goodness. Like I said, David was so happy that Ab Abigail intervened and she brought peace because it kept him from doing something that he would regret. And truth is, we all need wisdom. And James, the brother of Jesus, he puts it this way. He says, if, you need, if any of you needs wisdom, we all need it. We should ask God for it and he'll give it to you. All we got to do is ask him. We go to God and we say, God, I have no idea what to say. Like, I don't know what to do next. I don't know where we go from here. But I do know I want to restore this relationship. I do know I want things to get back to normal. I do know that I need help with this. Will you give me wisdom? Will you help me? God promises to give us what we need. In fact, you know what? Let's do something together. I want you to think of that... Um, 
of that person right now that you may have some conflict with. That person that you need help with. That person that you just don't understand what to do or what to say or where to go next. And let's do that right now. Let's take it to God. Let's pray together. Let's just pray real quick. God, you know that we don't like dealing with conflict. We don't don't like it at all. Nobody in their right mind enjoys it. But God, we know that you have the answers that we're looking for. Help us to understand how to bring harmony, how how to make peace with others. God, I pray that you would give us the courage, the people in this room right now to bring reconciliation in those relationships, everybody that is on our minds right now. God, give us the right time, the right thing to say, the right way, and the right attitude. God, we put our hope in you. Give us wisdom. Amen. So, what we do is we take initiative, okay? We take the first step. And when we don't know what to do or what to say, we take it to God. And then the third thing we got to do is we got to take responsibility. We got to take responsibility. And again, Abigail shouldn't be the one taking responsibility or apologizing for anything in this situation. But I do want to show you what she does in order to bring peace. Look how she begins the conversation with David in verse 28. She says, please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. I love this. She gets off her donkey. She, she bows to the ground, face to the dirt, and she says, please forgive me. How soft was David's heart to hear her after she began the conversation that way? That's an, that's an incredible way to begin things, isn't it? Because that's not what we do. Again, what's ordinary is to come locked and loaded for those conversations. To come into those conversations saying, you know what, I've already thought this through. So when he says this, I'm going to say this. Or when she says this, I'm going to bring up what she did three years ago. Right? And how she acted back then. And I'm no different now. You know, all those kind of things. And we do that because we're so self-centered. We tend to only want to focus on what they've done wrong. And not on what I may have contributed to this situation. And you know what? In some ways, you may be right. They may have done a lot of things wrong, and they may deserve what's coming to them. But I really believe that when you have those conversations, when you want to bring peace to someone else, you can probably find something to confess. You can probably find some attitude, some behavior that you've had that has contributed to the problem that you're facing. Because nobody's perfect. Jesus, at another point in the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, he says, given these instructions, he says, first get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. I've used this piece of scripture a lot, but, you know, this was Jesus' way of telling a joke. And we don't really get it now because, you know, we've heard this too much. But you know what it's like to be sitting at the dinner table and somebody has a, a, a speck of pepper in their teeth and they're just talking to you and you cannot focus on what they're saying because they got that spot on their teeth. And so you're doing this number, like you're trying to point it out to give them like a hint that they got something they need to get rid of. And meanwhile, the whole time you're talking, you've got spaghetti sauce on your cheek. Y'all, this happened to me not too long ago. This girl was sitting across the table. She had spaghetti sauce on her cheek. And I'm like, how in the world do you miss your mouth like that? Anyway, anyway, this is Jesus' way of saying, work on yourself first. 
right? Get the log out of your own eye. Get the spaghetti sauce off your own cheek before you start worrying about what's wrong with somebody else. Being a peacemaker, here's what that means. That means I don't start with you. It means I start with me. And I confess. And I take it to God. And when I'm done sharing and when I'm done confessing, here's point number four. Point number four is I need to take a minute and I need to listen. I need to take a minute and listen. Abigail gave David time to speak. And she listened to his side of the argument. And you know what I've learned is that it doesn't matter who's upset, whether it's in your marriage or whether it's at friendship or, or children or even the conflicts that happen between political parties. When people feel like nobody's paying attention to them, when people feel like nobody values them, when people feel like nobody's listening to them, they're going to get mad. So if you really want to connect with somebody, you got to be able to sit down. And you got to listen. James, the brother of Jesus, he puts it this way in James 1.9. He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and then you're slow to get angry. So be quick to listen, slow to get angry. Because if you listen to their hurt, if you listen to their perspective, what you're saying is that this person matters. And that's powerful. And then the fifth thing, last thing, and I know I've kept y'all long today, is you got to take the offer. Whatever it is, you got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. Abigail was way more interested in reconciliation with David than trying to resolve the pettiness of the argument that they had. There's a big difference. Let me explain this real quick. There's a big difference between reconciliation and resolution, okay? Reconciliation means that we are reestablishing the relationship. We're going to bury the hatchet, okay? I'm not going to hold on to this hurt anymore, and I'm willing to take whatever's being presented if we can move forward, if we can take the next step, if we continue to move ahead. But reconciliation is different than resolution because resolution means that we're going to sit down and we're going to hammer this out and we're going to come to agreement on everything. And we're going to check everything off the list. And you know what? That, that may not happen. And here's the reason is because we're probably not going to agree on everything. And you know what? At the end of the day, that's going to have to be okay. We can disagree on things without being so disagreeable. That actually shows faith in God. That actually shows a lot of maturity. And it shows a lot of wisdom. We can talk through things and we can walk together and we can hold hand in hand without always seeing eye to eye. And that's going to be okay. And Abigail's story, I'm sure she didn't agree with everything with Nabal, her husband. And I'm sure she didn't agree with everything with David. And thank goodness, I mean, what if she had sat down and tried to work through every little detail? Let's, let's resolve this, shall we? And they just had a meeting and she went through her checklist. Do you think that she would have been able to get through the whole thing? No. Nabal's name literally means fool. He's not going to agree to this. So what she did was she took what was given and she started somewhere. She buried the hatchet not allowed anything to keep looming over them, and she reestablished a good relationship. She took the offer, and she moved forward in peace. So what a great example in Scripture. I love this story. And being a peacemaker is so important. Like I said before, there's so much conflict in the world today. We turn on the TV, we look on social media. It's all around us. Somebody's always upset about something. But I'll remind you, we don't belong to this world, do we? 
We are children of God. We belong to the kingdom of God. And we are called to be unordinary. We're called to be peacemakers. We're called to be the ones that go first. We confess. We listen. We reconcile. And to those who are willing to fix those horizontal relationships with other people, guess what? It opens this relationship up even more. And when this relationship, when this relationship is good and this relationship is good, guess what? More blessings, more joy, more happiness. And that's what we're after. We want to glorify Christ on this world. Let's pray together. Jesus, we just thank you so much for this time this morning. And we acknowledge, God, that we are not perfect that we struggle at times in our relationship with others. And God, I know that everybody in here probably has someone that we need to be reconciled to. So God, I just pray that you would help us take that first step. God, that you would help us to make that call or to talk face-to-face. And God, again, like we already prayed, we're going to pray and we're going to ask for your wisdom when we do this because you know exactly what we need. So God, help us to understand and help us to confess where we've messed up. God, to get over ourselves and admit our own faults. And God, allow us the opportunity to listen, realizing we don't always know what's going on like we think we do. God, help us to realize that this person that maybe we have conflict with or the conflict that we have in life, maybe just that person's way of crying out for help, of reaching out. God, help us to be available to them. But God, I pray for reconciliation. Because we have been reconciled to you. Because you have forgiven us. You came to us when we didn't deserve it. God, you gave your life for us. You reestablished that relationship when you shouldn't have to. And yet you did. And God, we are forever grateful because we receive eternity because of it. We thank you for your salvation. So God, help us to give that same type of love that same type of grace, that same type of forgiveness to others. God, bless us in our relationship with one another so that our relationship with you can be as good as it can possibly be. Because, God, we want nothing more than to glorify you. And we realize, God, the more we bring glory to you, the more we live for you, the more we open our lives up to receive more of you and your blessings. So God, we give our lives to you. And we love you. We give you this time. We give you this day. We give you our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.